Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening, and we're going to be talking about some fun stuff tonight. I know all of you who are listening are big fans of winter weather and snow, and tonight we're going to have on with us Judah Cohen. He's a climatologist, and if you follow uh, weather Twitter, I'm sure you've seen Judah's tweets throughout uh, weather Twitter talking about the polar vortex and uh, different uh, winter seasonal outlooks. And so tonight we're going to kind of dig into that, talk about uh, what the polar vortex is. We talk about it every year where uh, we see these intrusions of cold air. So we're going to kind of talk about that and also kind of look at the seasonal outlook for this winter of uh, 2022-2023 and kind of see what Judah thinks may happen over the next few months. So let's uh, jump into the program. We have Shay Gibson and Frank Strait on with us as well as our panelists. So Judah, welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you. Uh, first question to you that we always ask a lot of our guests is how did you get interested into weather? What's that one storm or maybe that one person or, or something like that that really got you uh, interested in weather and wanting to pursue uh, this uh, crazy career that we're all involved in? A pleasure to be here and uh, thank you for that question. I think I think anybody that knows me won't, won't be surprised that uh, it's the love of snow that got me you know, into meteorology. Um, I don't know if that it was one storm, but I certainly the storm that, um, you know, uh, that really I maybe just got me hooked was February 1978. Uh, was, I mean, it's actually, I, I live in Boston. It was probably most famous for what it did in Boston, but, uh, or Eastern New England. Uh, but um, I, mean, I was living in, I grew up in Brooklyn and it was, you know, about two feet of snow there as well. So quite a quite a sizable storm, a much bigger than anything I'd really seen, you know, previously. Judah, looking into this winter, if you're looking into your your forecast, kind of give us an overview of what what you think um, we could expect uh, for the winter of 2022-2023. I look at Arctic predictors, um, and the, the the one that I've looked at the longest, I think probably best known for, is looking at snow cover extent, how much of the land is covered by snow across Eurasia, but in the month of October, but in October, it's mostly limited to Siberia. The more snow in Siberia in the, in the fall, but especially October, the greater the likelihood of getting a cold winter in the Eastern US, less snow in, in Siberia. And uh, we tend to get a more, you know, no, no predict is perfect but more likely to get a milder, you know, less snow type of winter here in the Eastern US. Yeah, I mean, there are other things. I also look at Arctic sea ice. So I do think that's also, you know, I, I've come to that later and other people have looked at, as, at that as well. Less sea ice, so more snow cover favors a, a weaker polar vortex and colder weather. Maybe that seems intuitive, but less sea ice means the same thing. So less sea ice means a, a weaker polar vortex and colder weather more sea ice, this maybe was a little counterintuitive because say, oh, it was more sea ice should be colder, <laughs> but more sea ice means a stronger polar vortex and milder weather, and, you know, colder weather maybe for the Arctic, but milder weather for us here in the mid-latitudes. So if they happen on the North Atlantic side, I think that is more favorable for disrupting the polar vortex and getting, you know, cold weather, especially across the whole hemisphere. But if it happens on the North Pacific side, actually, there's been some studies that could actually strengthen the polar vortex. So uh, I, I do think uh, given the pattern, I think that actually, the, I didn't think this a couple of weeks ago, but I think it now that actually the bigger anomalies will end up being in that region that's most favorable 
uh, for disrupting the polar vortex on kind of near Europe. If you look at you know the two Arctic predictions I look at more closely, they're kind of uh, you know a, a wash. They <laughs> balance each other out. Uh, so I mean, so far I think the Arctic is not showing its hand too well. I wanted to ask, like we always hear the Siberian connection with snow, and that being a stronger winter pattern for the U.S. in general. So what is the connection? Like why why is that? Yes, yeah, so I was describing earlier the waves. So. Um, so another way you could think, so the waves can take different forms, but one thing could be like a temperature wave. Um, so Eurasia, the, each continent has like, it causes its own, what we call a standing wave, kind of this wave that's kind of set in place. And it has to do in a large part, I mean, some of its topography, but a large part is because it's much warmer on the Western side of continents. And this is both true for North America and Eurasia. It's much, it's warmer on the West side because if the you know the winds blow in from west east, so like Seattle, right? Seattle is milder than Portland, Maine, right? Even though they're, they're probably close in latitudes, I'm sure if anything, Seattle's further north because Seattle's getting winds that are constantly coming off the North Pacific, and the winter in the ocean is a big heat reservoir, so it's much milder. So this, and then um, as you move east across the continent, it gets colder because you're getting much less and less of that maritime or ocean influence, you're getting more of that continental, you know, kind of cold air coming down from the Arctic influence. So snow cover, um, so Siberia is on the east part of the continent, right? <laughs> uh, you know, let's say Europe's on the western part of Eurasia. And um, snow cover in the fall typically falls across Siberia, so the eastern part of Asia. And snow cover is the highest a naturally occurring reflective surface. It's the most reflective naturally occurring surface on Earth. So more sunlight gets reflected into space. So that tends to lead to colder and colder temperatures. So you have more snow, more sun gets reflected into space. It gets colder and colder. So you're kind of amplifying the cold, you know, the trough or the cold part of that wave. Um, and then this is where sea ice comes in. I said the sea ice that tends to, uh, you know, sea ice, anomalies or departure from normal where sea ice is missing, let's say, or, or is or not, uh, anomalously extensive. Uh, the most important part is, is um, across close to Europe, you know, Scandinavia, the Urals, it's called the Barents Kara Seas. So if you, if, you, if you, that sea ice is melting, you expose the ocean, open waters to the atmosphere, that heats the atmosphere. So you have heating in the warm, warm part of the wave because less sea ice and you have cooling in the cold part of the wave because of more snow cover. So that amplifies the wave, right? This naturally occurring wave across Eurasia. And the same thing happens across North America, but smaller. So that's why I think Eurasia is most important because it's, you know, size matters here with this, uh, we're talking about the polar vortex. Living in the Northeast where you're much more susceptible of snow and, and cold, uh, than us here in the southeast. Uh, kind of tell us about the elements of winter. How how does this polar vortex that uh, that we hear from time to time, especially from the mainstream media, uh, it's always one of those big news stories when we see this uh, intrusion of cold air. Uh, talk to those viewers who may know a little bit about weather or may not know about weather at all and kind of uh, explain the polar vortex 101 and then we can kind of dive into certain yeah. sections of that and then go into the what you may think is uh, going to happen here uh, this upcoming winter season. Polar vortex is an area of low pressure. Uh, and like all low pressures in the Northern Hemisphere, the circulation is counterclockwise. Uh, it sits 
typically is centered over the North Pole. And it's pretty high up in the atmosphere. So in the stratosphere, I'd say five to 15 miles above the Earth's surface. And in its normal state, it has this fast flowing ribbon of river of air uh, that kind of circumnavigates, or circulates around this you know, set low pressure center over the North Pole. And it acts, it's, it's a jet, so it's similar to, I don't know if people are familiar with the jet stream, but it's, it's higher, it's, you know, separate from the jet stream at its higher level, but it's a very fast flow of air. And I like to give the analogy, it's like a top. So in its normal state, it's a fast spinning top, kind of quiet rotation, keeps everything kind of close to the core center. So, you know, right, you know, obviously since it's in the Arctic, there's a lot of cold air that's, you know, kind of so associated there in the, in the core and the center, and it keeps it close. So, um, it tends to be cold over the Arctic, but much milder uh, in the mid-latitudes. Now, there, that's the kind of the most common and normal state of the polar vortex. But there are times when it gets disruptive. So you go back to this analogy of the spinning top. It's like spinning top bangs into something, right? So then the, the, you know, the, the rotation or the circulation really slows down and it starts to wobble and meander you know, kind of moves all over the place. So that's what happens with the polar vortex. The circulation around it becomes slower and it, and it kind of develops these undulations or kinks, you know, uh, it's not just circular anymore. Uh, and, and these, and the circulation associated with the, uh, you know, the polar vortex spreads further south. So it's kind of also another analogy, like maybe the ice skater, you know, when it's fast, nice rotation and he keeps the arm, he or she keeps the arms you know, closer to the chest when they, you know, they start to fall and the arms start to flail, um, you know, and they, they really slow down. So that's what's happening kind of with the polar vortex. And, and that's when the cold air, if you think of the, you know, the polar vortex in its normal state is like a dam. Uh, it keeps, you know, dams all the cold air close to the Arctic and then the dam bursts and the cold air will uh, just rush to lower latitudes. And that's when we typically get our uh, cold air outbreaks and even and even snowstorms. What what sort of things would make the polar vortex shift or dive into one sector or, or quadrant of the of the planet from that perspective? Yeah, so I think you know if you boil it down, the most basic um, feature in the atmosphere that controls the behavior of the polar vortex are waves in the atmosphere. So uh, just like we have waves in the ocean, right and um, you know, if you're sitting, you know, in the surf, you guys are in the Carolinas, I'm sure you spent a lot of time down at the beach. You know, you're sitting, you're standing there in the surf, you got a little wave, <laughs> little ripples coming across, you know, and it's not, not a big deal. It doesn't have a lot of energy associated with it, but, um, you know, but, you know, you get a big swells coming in, you know, let's say, uh, you know, hurricane offshore or something. Uh, you know, you're going to go into that surf. It's, those waves are much bigger. They have much more energy, they're more likely to knock you down. Uh, so the same thing happens between the, the, the waves in the atmosphere and the polar vortex. If the waves are kind of small in the atmosphere, um, not much amplitude to them, you know, that's the term we would use, but if the waves get big enough, then it's like that top that's spinning nice and quiet, tight rotation. It gets, now it starts to get really knocked around when the waves get big, large, you know, sufficient size, and then it'll start to kind of, you know, meander and wobble and it'll go to, and I like to say where the, you know, where the polar vortex is, so is the cold, coldest air. As far as like, when we talk about oscillations, maybe let's talk about oscillations, what those are 
And then you're talking about positive, negative Arctic, North Atlantic oscillations. So kind of give us some scope of, of like what that term means and what you're gauging for forecasting. I like to think of um, the North Atlantic oscillation or the Arctic oscillation, kind of a metric of how much mixing is going on in the atmosphere. So when they're, when the, the North Atlantic oscillation, let's say is positive, that means there's very little mixing going on, right? Uh, when you have this positive North Atlantic oscillation. So the cold air stays up North, the mild air stays South. And you know, so certainly the Southeastern US is gonna be mild in that type of scenario regime. All righty then. Well, uh, I guess I'll go on and, and ask the uh, quote unquote fun questions here, which uh, basically are just to, to get to know you a little bit better as a person and not, not just as a meteorologist. But uh, I guess I'll start by asking you, since you're, uh, since you're from the Boston area, uh, tell us uh, something that a person visiting Boston uh, really needs to do, uh, something they shouldn't miss. Faneuil Hall and uh, Quincy Market and that, that area is, I think it's really nice area to walk around. Uh, you know, downtown Boston. I, you know, a lot of people take the Freedom Trail that takes you on different parts of Boston, you know, back to the Revolutionary War. So uh, another question I typically ask is, so uh, what, uh, what, what's your favorite restaurant uh, and what's a good place to go grab a meal? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, so I, I you know, I'm, a, I'm actually, I observe kosher <laughs> diet. In oh, Boston, I see. It's like a desert. It's uh, it's a, not, it's really, uh, uh, coming from New York, it's, that's maybe my biggest disappointment. What's a great place to eat in New York then, since well, you're I mean, familiar I, I, with that? Well, well, uh, I, you know, recently, I, I guess I tend towards meat, so I like some steakhouses. So there's Reserve Cut in the, uh, downtown Wall, you know, Wall Street area, it's really good. And actually in Brooklyn, there have been two restaurants I've gone to recently uh, that were really surprising. I thought, excellent, Bordeaux. Actually, not too far from where I grew up in Brooklyn, in the Midwood section of Brooklyn. And when I was there, there was nothing great either, but it's really turned around for whatever reason. And in Borough Park, there was this loft that was a really great steakhouse as well. Legita, we appreciate your time. If uh, our followers and listeners want to uh, follow you on social media or a website, uh, how can they do that? You know, I'm pretty active on Twitter, uh, Judah47, at Judah47. Should have gone with like something like snow cone. <laughs> and then when I got on Twitter, I signed on. I didn't think I'd ever use it for very much. So I was wrong about that. So people say, what kind of narrative? Judah 47, could that be really you? <laughs> that was really me. So, uh, but, uh, and I, I have a weekly blog. So it's a bit of a long name, but if you do a Google search Judah Cohen blog, I think I'm sure it'll be the first thing or Judah Cohen Arctic. It'll be the first thing that'll show up. Judah is a must follow on Twitter. If uh, if you've not following him, you need to do that because you'll get uh, some really good specific uh, ideas of what may be coming down the road, especially in the wintertime uh, as right, we really you. get into that season. So Judah, appreciate your time tonight and a great conversation. And again, go follow Judah on Twitter. And for everyone here at the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you have a great evening. We'll see you back here real soon.